because we love to pray for you as a staff of Community of Faith. Makes all the difference that we get to join you in your daily life. We've been looking at Christianity 101. It's not some dry, dusty course. It's life change in action. It's the abundant life. And uh, today you got a pop quiz. Are you ready? You didn't know it. Pop quiz. Some of you tightened up really bad. Bad memories. It's a pop quiz day. You know, I, I just admire all of you that are teachers in our schools, whether public or private. Uh, when I first came back from... Uh, Mexico City, uh, from Mexico, and, and was from being a missionary there in 2002, 2003, we were thinking about what are we going to do next before we started Community of Faith in our living room, and um, so I substitute taught a little bit, and I am like the worst substitute teacher ever because I was substituting for like fourth and fifth grade, and my great pleasure was kind of to mess with their little minds a little bit, you know, and uh, in a good way, in a good way, so you know, like they would have a pop quiz. I said, it's a pop quiz. Your teacher gave it to me to give to you. So what I want you to do, we'd do the quiz. And then I'd say, now pass it to the person on your right. We're going to grade it. And, well, in fact, I want you to pass it one more time. Pass it to the person on your left. We're going to grade it. And they would look at each other. And they're going, we have our own paper. <laughs> and, and so then I would say, okay, now as you grade this, if it's wrong and you don't change it, I will count off. And they just looked at me for a second. You know, so it, that's the kind of stuff that I would do. And, and, and it, it just kind of blew their minds. I remember, you know, after that particular test, you know, I went down through and it was, what'd you get? You know, 100, 100, 100. And this one kid goes, I got a 90. <laughs> and I was thinking, buddy, you're going to have a hard time in life. We need to take... A little extra time with you. God, <laughs> God, he doesn't, he, he gives us these tests in ways that you're not able to cram for them. You remember in college when you used to cram for tests? Why did we call it cramming? Because you crammed it in your mind for about 10 minutes, right? Just long enough to take that, that test, however long it took you. I'd stay up all night and cram it all in and forget it all by the next day. God is a lot smarter than that. He doesn't allow us to cram. So we're going to look at some tests of the Christian life that you really can't cram for. 1 Peter 1.7, if you want to look it up in your Bible, or you can look there in your sermon notes, or it'll be up on the, all of our scriptures will be up on, on the big screen too. It says this, Peter talking, these trials are only to test your faith, to show that it is strong and pure. You remember we talked about how trials cannot destroy faith. They only test it to see if it's real or not. And they test our faith to show us if it's genuine. If it's genuine, it will stand the test of trial. That's because, remember, just a little bit of review is that when you step into this journey with Christ, it's not a change of philosophy or a change of idea or a little religion kind of thing. When you step in full out and you say, Jesus, I don't understand everything you did on the cross for me, but I, I receive it for myself. I also want to give you all of me, and I choose to step into this journey with you with all that I am. The Bible says something amazing happens. In that moment, you become a new creation. And remember, we studied that word new in the original language, the Greek, and it means something never seen or heard of before. 
God, this sovereign, all-powerful God of ours, who, who created us and created this planet, and he said, here, human, humankind, I want you to have dominion over this planet. That means you're in charge. I'm not going to be in charge. You're in charge of this planet. People ask me all the time about evil and why would God allow evil? I said, well, he put us in charge and we created all of that. And he's not going to step over us, though many times he does push his grace through in the midst of all of that. But he wanted us to have free will. And so he gave us this planet and we fell on our face from the very beginning. <clears throat> but this great God of ours always had a plan, even in the midst of that. He knew what was going to happen. And it's as if suddenly we see a little inkling of it in the New Testament. It was you and me becoming brand new creations to walk with him, to rule and reign with him. Somehow on the inside, you don't see it on the outside, but on the inside when you step into this journey, you become a new creation. And when trials hit the new creation, they activate something. And that is, we found in the book of James, that's persistence. You will follow through. If you fall away and you don't follow through, you never were changed in the first place. The Bible's real clear about that. Now, that doesn't mean you can't fall on your face. It doesn't mean you can't fall away for a short time. But you can't stay away. But there's another thing about trials that we're going to talk about today. And, and that is that these tests also help us evaluate how far along we are in our walk with God. They help us evaluate how far along we are. Romans 12, 3. Paul says, for the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. He's saying, I want you to really know where you are. You know, you ever known a believer that, that thought more highly of themselves than they ought? You know, they thought that they had all the answers and they had, you know, that's, he says, I don't want you to do that. I want you to really know where you're at. So let's look at a few of the tests and walk through them. And I actually want you to grade yourself today, okay? Don't look on anyone else's paper, right? In fact, at the end, we'll pass our sermon notes to the right. No, we're not going to do that. But I want you just to grade yourself. This is just you and God right now, okay? First test, the tough times test. Tough times test. We've already, this is a little bit of review because we've talked about that. How will I handle trials and trouble? Will I depend on myself or will I depend on God? Look what it says in Psalm 50, 15. I want you to trust me. This is God talking in your times of trouble so I can rescue you and you can give me glory. What does he want us to do in times of trouble? Trust me, he says. Trust me. How are you doing on that? Because I find that it's easy to trust God in the good times, but when things come that we don't understand, we have this tendency to go, God, how could you? What are you? I don't understand you. He says, will you trust my heart even in the times of trouble? Some of us, when we get under stress, it's obvious where do you go to your knees and prayer? Or do you go to get a glass of wine or two or three or four or five you know I'm under stress I need a little bit of, of something it, that won't last do you do you get all tense and nervous and 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 so what you reach out with that lifeline and call a friend 
I'm so nervous and I'm so, I'm going to call a friend. It's okay to call a friend. I love community. We do that here at Community of Faith. We're all about this life together. But do you go to God first or do you call them first? See, I, I usually like to complain or whine to Laura first before I even go to God. And, and that's out of, that's not the right way to do it. And she probably gets real tired of that. God says, come to me first. Another thing I do, you know, when I get really stressed out, I don't do prescription narcotics when I'm stressed out. I do prescription nachos. That's what I do. (laughs) I don't know about you, but it's like I just feel better if I can just nuke some nachos or something like that, you know, and, and just get my belly full and I'm so stressed out, I just need to eat. And you know what I've discovered if you do that often, you're not stressed anymore. You're fat and stressed. That's what happened. But, but we have this tendency to go to something, don't we? All of us are going to something, some stress reliever. And I think a lot of it, too, is because we don't understand God's timetable. We think that it's immediate. God, I'm asking you right now. I don't understand. I asked you five minutes ago. To change this man I'm married to and he's still the same you know I'm trying to figure this out God's timetable is not like ours he's building something into us even in the midst of the troubles but we want this this quick relief and so we kind of short circuit what he's trying to do by trying to do it ourselves my mom has a word that she always used I don't know where it came from maybe you've used it she's from deep out in the country in Arkansas you know, which explains a lot about our family. But she says, quit finagling. You're just trying to finagle it. Now, what is finagle? I can't find finagle, but I know that, that, that that's, you know, you know what that is? That's when you're trying to work it out yourself. You're trying to manipulate it and fix it. So we do that all the time. Look what Jeremiah the prophet said about God's people. God talking, actually, through Jeremiah. He says, my people have done two evils. They've turned away from me, the spring of living water, and they've dug their own wells, which are broken wells, and cannot hold water. It's this picture like you're walking through the Sahara Desert. There's no shade. You've been without water for maybe 48 hours, and your tongue's all swelled up. Your your lips are all cracked, and, and you're about to die. And then you cross over this last sand dune, maybe just crawling over because you haven't got much strength left. And just imagine on the other side, there's this big like Las Vegas neon sign with an arrow that points down and it says God's abundant life-giving water. And you look down and there's this amazing little spring. When I was in Fiji, they would take us around and show us these little springs that welled up out of the limestone. That's why you pay so much for Fiji water at church, at the, at the, at the, supermarket but but you know it, it it's like it's just amazing clear little you so it's let's just imagine it's something like that and what do we do we go huh and we walk on past and find an old rusty shovel over there a little bit past it and start digging in the sand to make our own well that's God's well I think I'll do my well that doesn't make much sense does it and then the audacity that we have on top of that is that we go God bless this well that I'm making of my own making and and that I'm creating to try to find happiness here I need you to 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 bless it you can go out get into uh, into some relationship 
And you know it's wrong, but you're praying, God, please bless this relationship. And God's going, you passed up my life-giving water, and you're trying to find abundant life. You're trying to find and quench your thirst out here somewhere else. Go out and, and, and buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like, you know. And, and, and we go, God, my finances, bless my finances. They're in tr- and God's going like, but you've been out, you know, because that's another one of our things. Some of you, when you get stressed out, what do you do? You go shop. When going gets tough, the tough go shopping, right? And God's going, no, that was never my plan. Abraham, he was promised a baby. We see that way back in the Old Testament. And, and God said, I'm going to give you and your wife, Sarah, a baby. And that baby will be the father of a great nation. And that nation will be where the Messiah, Jesus, comes from. He promised it. Well, Abraham got older and older, and Sarah got older and older. In fact, Sarah got, went into menopause, got past childbearing age, and nothing had still happened. And, and so, where's God? What's he doing? Does it make any sense? And Sarah comes to Abraham and says, I don't know what God's doing. I don't understand it. We must, you know, I don't, I don't get it. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take my little maidservant, Hagar. I want you to have, make a baby with her, and we'll call the baby our own. And so they did exactly that, and little Ishmael was born, and Abraham lifted up Ishmael before the Lord, and he said, let Ishmael live before you. But God basically came back and said, no, I have a plan. His name is Isaac. A year later or so, Sarah's pregnant, impossibly, and Isaac is born. So God had a way and Abraham had a way. Now what's interesting is, do you think it causes a little bit of problem? Ishmael is the father of the Arab nations. Isaac is the father of Israel. Has that been a little conflict down through the years? All because Abraham thought he had a better way. He thought he had a way because he got tired of waiting on what God was doing. Some of you are in tremendous financial difficulty right now. Struggle. And the temptation is to cut corners. Maybe to move away some of your giving from God's kingdom to, to well, I got to take care of this or got to take care of that. Or, or, or maybe even in, to not be exactly full of integrity in some business deal that's coming up. Some of you are under tremendous sexual tension as a, as a single adult pressure in your life you're thinking I've got to have a mate and even though the Bible's really clear God's going I really love you so let me put some parameters around this amazing gift that I gave you and he says I want it to be in marriage we start to make excuses don't we well she's a believer he's a believer you know we really love each other this is true love here God's going this well is going to break your heart this well that you're digging of your own making that you're asking me to bless it's going to tear you up what's the antidote Isaiah 50 verse 10 says God is talking again if you're walking in darkness without a ray of light trust in the Lord rely on your God do you think God gets it where you are some of you are in some really tough situations I'm not going to minimize that I'm not going to ridicule that I want you to hear me validate you it's tough where you are I know some of your situations it's hard to even imagine but 
this is exactly what this verse says. If you're walking in darkness without a ray of light. Have you ever been in that much pitch blackness? Where you can't even see your hand an inch in front of your face? That's scary to try to walk in that. And that's where you are. But God says, that's exactly when I want to have you trust my heart. How do you show him that you're trusting his heart? By following his principles. By walking in his commands. By spending time with him. By falling to your knees. When that pressure gets so great on your shoulders, you don't try to bear it anymore. You fall to your knees. Lay it down at God's feet. So... How are you doing on the tough times test? Grade yourself, A, B, C, D, F. Just put a little circle. Number two, the Savior test. The Savior test. God uses people in your life to to test and stretch your faith. Really the question is, how am I going to handle disappointment? Because life is disappointing. Can I just let you know that? Life is oftentimes disappointing things don't turn out the way we plan them careers don't turn out the way we plan them marriages don't turn out the way we plan them I've noticed that even plans don't turn out the way we've planned them have you noticed that that's just life but the most disappointing thing in life is people why do we get disappointed with people because people are disappointing they let us down that's what happens We set ourselves up because we put people in the place of God. If you're putting a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a husband or a wife or a parent or a child in the place of God for your happiness, to meet your needs, then you've put them in a place that's a huge disservice to them. You know, most of us, we get married and we say, this is great because he or she is going to now meet my needs. That was never the point of marriage. The point of marriage was to make us more like Christ and now some of you are going oh yeah he died on the cross that makes sense why I married this guy now right you know it's to make us more like Jesus to help us become more like him the answer to your insecurity is not a person the answer to your discouragement to your lack of purpose to your dissatisfaction in life is not another person the answer is God the Bible puts it this way in Isaiah 2:22. you should stop trusting in people to save you because people are only human don't expect another person to do it there's only one savior stop expecting anyone else to be that look at God's promises blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made him their hope and confidence another anyone who trusts in me God says, will not be disappointed. I love how Emily Kingsley talks about how life so often turns out in ways that's, that are unexpected, um, are much more difficult than expected, or disappointing even sometimes. Her son Jason was born with Down syndrome. And people ask her all the time, what is it like to raise a child with a disability and here's what she says I just like this I'm often asked to describe the experience of raising a child with a disability to try to help people who have not shared that unique experience to understand it and to imagine how it would feel it's like this when you're going to have a baby it's like planning a fabulous vacation 
to Italy. You buy a bunch of guidebooks and make your wonderful plans. You're going to see the Colosseum, the Sistine Chapel, the gondolas. You're going to learn some handy phrases in Italian. It's all very exciting. After several months of preparation and anticipation, the day finally arrives. You pack your bags and off you go to Italy. Several hours later, the plane lands and the stewardess comes in and says, Welcome to Holland. Holland? You say, I signed up for Italy. I'm supposed to be in Italy. All my life I've dreamed of going to Italy. But there's been a change in the flight plans. They've landed in Holland and there you must stay. The important thing to remember is they haven't taken you to a horrible, disgusting, filthy place filled with pestilence and famine and disease. It's just a different place. So you must go out and buy new guidebooks and learn a whole new language, meet a whole new group of people that you would have never met before. It's just a different place. It's slower paced than Italy. It's less flashy than Italy. But after you've been there for a while and you catch your breath, you begin to look around and you begin to notice that Holland has windmills and Holland has tulips and Holland even has Rembrandts. But everyone you know is busy coming and going from Italy and bragging about what a wonderful time they've had there. And for the rest of your life, you'll say, yes, that's where I was supposed to go. At least that's what I had planned. And the pain of that experience will never, ever, ever go away. The loss of that dream is a very significant loss. But if you spend your life mourning the fact that you didn't get to Italy, you may never be free to enjoy that very special, very lovely place called Holland that is your life. I I think that's good. I mean, some of you, it doesn't just apply to what she's talking about. I mean, some of you on your wedding day, you stood at the altar and said, I'm going to Italy. And now you realize Afghanistan. Wait. Maybe it's not quite that bad, but maybe it is. I don't know. Are you going to trust God in the midst of all of this? He says you won't be disappointed if you trust me. Let me work. Let me build. Let me do some things in you. Come to me. So here's the question. A, B, C, D, F. Grade yourself on the Savior test. Number three, the commitment test. Will I keep my commitments? Life is about making commitments. Your life is shaped by your commitments. Your character is developed by your commitments. Your success is determined by your commitments. You become what you're committed to. And we don't hear that much in America today. Most people are half committed to two dozen different things that that don't really matter that much instead of totally committed to one or two or maybe three things that really matter for now and all of eternity. You know, anything that you're going to do, these, these artists up here that play these instruments, they're amazing. They, they can just look at music and, and they can make this, this beautiful sound come forth. But they didn't come by just standing up there one day and going, oh, wow, I can't believe I can do this. It took so much practice. It took bleeding fingers playing the guitar over a long period of time. There's a word for uncommitted, immature. And God is calling us to maturity. We've seen that. It said, let, remember in the verse we read in James, let trouble, let trials produce what in you? Maturity. 
persistence that leads to maturity. I want you to remember this. Some of us here this morning really need to understand that no commitment that really matters is ever going to be easy. No commitment that matters is going to be easy. Ecclesiastes 5.4, the wisest man who ever lived, he says, if you make a promise to God, don't be slow to keep it. God is not happy with fools, so give God what you've promised. What have you promised God? Have you promised to read your Bible every day? How's that going? You promised to start giving regularly? How's that going? What about being involved in a small group or joining church or Some of you said, I'm going to share Christ with my neighbors. I'm going to let my neighbors know that I'm a believer. How's that going? I'm going to give you a chance to do that for Easter. I'm going to ask Rachel if she'll come and bring our little sign up. We have got a sign that I want you to put in your yard because your neighborhood watch committee will love it. And this right here. Celebrate Easter with us at Community of Faith. Put it in your yard three weeks till Easter, just for three weeks. Put it in your yard in a prominent place. Some of you are going like, oh, I don't know if I want my neighbors to know. I, You know, it's how you've been living. How's it going? You know, you might need to put celebrate Easter with me at Second Baptist or something if you haven't been living it out, right? But here's the deal. I want you to say to your neighbors, hey, Let's go together and let's do this. I guarantee you there's no place in this whole area that's going to be more on fire and more safe and more people far from God friendly than community of faith on Easter. That's what we designed that whole thing around people that you're inviting that are far from God. And we'll have thousands. But I want your neighbors and your coworkers to be there. So will you do that? There'll be people at the doors to pass that out. That's an easy way. To say, hey, I want you to be a part. And what you'll also be amazed is how many people on your street go to community of faith that you don't know yet, right? And you'll find that out. So, what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? One of my favorite verses that's the most painful verse that's a favorite verse, I find in Psalm 15, 4. It says, it's talking about people that they, they want to walk with God. And, and God says, here's the people that walk with me. He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. But you know, you can swear in the Bible, but you swear to your own hurt. I'm not changing. I'm going to keep moving. I'm going to keep going. I've made a commitment. I'm going to follow through. Then lastly... And this is a big one, the first place test. The first place test, maybe the most important test of all, it really is the most important test. Who's going to be first in my life? What's going to be first? The Bible makes the most incredible promise to believers. I mean, this is, to me, the promise that beats all promises. Look what it says in Matthew 6, 33. Your heavenly father, first off he's saying, I'm your father, I get you. Already knows all your needs. I'm watching you. I see all your needs. And he will give you all you need day to day. Wow. You could just stop there and say, that's really great. But you're going, "My, my needs aren't being met. But wait. There's always a premise to the promise. And here it is. 
if you live for him and make the kingdom of God your primary concern. God, all I really want is for you to to be seen. All I really want is to live full out for you. Nothing else really matters. You know, I believe that some of you, God would love to promote you through your company if that was true of you. But you're living to be promoted through your company. Some of you, God, in, in, in your school, God would love to make you, help you make the football team or be a cheerleader or whatever it is. If that was your goal, was to show God to the world. But sometimes our goal is to be popular. You see, God loves you. And he has a great plan for you. But the biggest thing of all, he says, I want you, my new creation, my little sons and daughters, my little new creations to show me to this world around you and begin to bring my kingdom to bear already in this world. How do you know if God's first place in your life? Because you wear a t-shirt that says God's first place in my life? No, that's easy to do. I I always ask myself three questions and here they are. You might want to think, you might want to write these down as we close. What do I think about the most? I mean, when I have a free Free time, what does my mind naturally wander toward? That's a good indication of what's really way up there and priorities in your life. Number two, where does my money go first? The Bible says where your treasure is, your heart is going to be. And then number three, how do I spend my time? How do I spend my time? You know, if you showed me your credit card receipts and you showed me your calendar, I would have this understanding of what is high priority for you. And a friend of mine asked me, he said, I mean, most of mine is like bills and stuff. But even that, I mean, the kind of lifestyle that we live that causes us to have bills is going to show us even some of the priorities that we have, isn't it? I want you just to, well, grade yourself on this. It's pass-fail. It's Jesus. It's God's kingdom. Is that first place in my life? Is that what God is wanting to do? I want you to just close your eyes with me. Just kind of close your eyes so that you're not looking around and you've kind of blocked everybody out around you. What is your greatest need? What is that that huge need? What is it that you need? How are you spending your time and your money? And what's the priority there? Which four, one of these four tests are you going through right now? Some of you are going like, I'm so tired. I don't know if I'm going to pass any of them. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do anything. I'm just wiped out. Let me give you a promise. With your eyes closed, listen to this. This is what God says. If you will come back to me. And trust me, you will be saved and you will be strong. Another one. God blesses those who patiently endure testing. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. What's a crown of life? I don't know. Other religions talk about chakras and auras and stuff like that. I think a crown of life is something that comes from deep inside. It's the abundant life. It's going to be something in heaven too. I get that. But even right now, 
You have a crown in life as you're an overcomer. As you're a king, a queen on this planet. A new creation. Enduring, walking. I know life hasn't turned out like you thought. But you've got a father that loves you so much. Yeah, there's been a lot of mess ups in this world down through all the millennia as we've been in had dominion over this planet and it affects every one of us greatly but you have a father who loves you he's never going to let you go he's always going to be working for your good in this trial do you trust him do you trust his heart because that's what it all boils down to again father we want to tell you we're your little sons and daughters And we are hurting really bad right now. But we want you to know that we do. We do. We trust you. We trust you. Teach us. Grow us. Give us that crown of life. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask our prayers to come up here to the front.